0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Vertical Church Triad, a vertical church in Jamestown, North Carolina. For more info on our service times and location, visit us at www.verticalchurchtriad.org. You are loved. If this is your first time here, we are going line by line through uh, the book of First Corinthians. Uh, The church at Corinth was a mess. And the reason the church was a mess was because rather than the church influencing the culture with gospel proclamation, because that's how we do influence the culture, just so you know, it's not through morality, it's not through legislation, not against those things, but here's the deal, we influence the culture with gospel proclamation. And sadly, uh, the culture was influencing the church with worldly contamination. And when I say worldly contamination, What I mean is like relativism and hedonism and materialism and humanism. And that's exactly what's happening with the church at Corinth in chapter 6. And and really what we're going to be looking at today is really it's this idea mixed of materialism and, and hedonism. Because we're going to see that this church was full of sexual immorality and it became the norm for them. Um, Corinth, the city, was full of sexual immorality. Let's talk about Corinth, the city, first. Corinth was located on an isthmus. That It's an isthmus. It's a tough word to say. Isthmus. Okay? And basically, it was a narrow stretch of land that joined Peloponnese and modern-day Greece. And this isthmus... I'm going to stop saying that word, just say, starting now. I'm no longer saying that word that I just said I would no longer say. I'm done with it. But this place was one of two major ports in the Roman Empire. And basically, you had to go through Corinth if you were coming from Asia Minor. And so, as you know, and I explained this in the first sermon, but people would actually like pick up their ships and they'd put them on these big grocery carts. Really big grocery carts, okay? And they would roll them across that word that I'm not saying anymore, and they would bring them to the Mediterranean Sea, right? And what we know, though, is that sailors, you, you know sailors, you know, you know pirates, you know, um, they were kind of living hedonistic, materialistic, pleasure-filled lives. Actually, these pirates were really kind of immoral, and the city itself was very immoral. In fact, um, we've said this over and over, but sex um, was used for worship. Corinth, the city, was full of prostitution. That's really what this passage is about, just so you know. At the top of the Acro-Corinth, which was considered the upper city of Corinth, up on the mount, Um, There was this temple, the temple of Epaphrodite. There were a thousand priestesses there to, and priests there to serve um, one's sexual pleasures, male or female, doesn't matter which. Caesars, all the Caesars came to that place to worship the goddess of Epaphrodite. Um, The city was so immoral that there was an ancient Greek term that was used for gross immorality and it was actually Corinthianized. This place was really messed up. Corinth, furthermore, it was part of the Greek or Roman culture that believed the body and the soul were independent. Um, The Greek culture, of course, um, was taken over by the Roman Empire, but they were still kind of living out their belief system and teaching their belief system. And the Greeks taught that the body was temporary, Um, They taught that the body would be destroyed, and basically because they believed in materialism, right, Um, that only matter matters, okay, Um, they basically thought, I can do what I want, when I want, with my body, and it will have no impact on me spiritually. So to put it simply, Corinth became a sex-crazed society And I would venture to say that the same is true about our American culture today. Our culture today is crazy about sex. Um, Watch TV. Put on an innocent TV show like the nightly news. Even in the commercials, you're going to be bombarded with what our world's view is about sexuality. It's in the commercials. It can't be missed. Like, remember the day when you're watching something and you would go to the commercials to avoid that thing that you didn't want your kids seeing? Now you go to the commercials and it's like, oh, that was worse than what we were watching. It's crazy. And our culture is... I would say it's a sex craze society. At this moment, there are 140 million people all across the world viewing pornography on the internet, if you're wondering. There are, in the United States, over 68 million daily searches for pornography, which is about 25% of daily searches in the United States. Netflix has 46 million visitors a month, Amazon, 110 million, Twitter, 160 million, all porn sites, 450 million. The porn industry makes more money than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined, and it makes more money than NBC, CBS, and ABC combined. Every second, $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography on the internet. Every second. 12% of all internet websites are pornographic. 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic in content. 25% of online search engine requests are related to sex, again resulting in 68 million requests a day. In 2020, it's believed that 193 billion adult videos have now been watched. These are big numbers. 90% 90% of boys, 60% of girls under the age of 18 have viewed porn with the average age of first exposure being 11 years old. Now here's where it gets a little more personal for us. The Barner Group discovered there is virtually no difference in the monthly porn use of non-Christian men, 65%, versus Christian men, 64%. A new study by the Barner Group shows that 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women admitted to viewing pornography at least once a b- month, compared to 65% of men and 30% of women who identify as non-Christian. A Barna Research study found most pastors, 57%, and youth pastors, 64% admit they have struggled with porn, either currently or in the past, but less than 1% recommend telling their congregation. Of Christian young adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively seek out porn, Barna also reported that 80% get this, this is crazy 80% of unmarried evangelical young adults have had sex. Half of Christians say casual sex, defined in the survey as sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed romantic relationship, is sometimes or always acceptable. Newsweek, this isn't Christian, this is Newsweek. Newsweek reported in October of 2021 that 30% of millennials. Identifies LGBTQ, according to a, soon, a soon-to-be-released study. And the Christian numbers were lower, but only slightly, with just under 30% of millennial Christians identifying as LGBTQ. I share those statistics to simply say the materialistic mindset that crept into the Corinthian church has crept into the American church, and it's safe to say that it's in vertical church. I'm sitting because I don't want to preach at you. That that is not my goal today. I want you to hear from the, the Lord through His Word. I do want you to experience conviction because if you're struggling with these things, conviction is a grace gift from our Lord for the purpose of transformation. You already know if you're a statistic. And we'd be deceived to think that we aren't part of these statistics. And that's okay. That's okay because we just sang for 30 minutes about a God of grace who offered up His life at the cross of Calvary to pay for all sin. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. And I think part of the problem with the American church and why we're so enslaved to sexual sin is because we don't talk about sexual sin nearly enough. It's the taboo sin. And if someone talks about their sexual sin, they feel as though they are going to be shunned or put out of the church. And if, like, you think that's a good thing to shun someone who struggles with sexual sin, I love you, but we're probably not the church for you. Because here's the reality we all struggle with sexual sin. You're lying if you say you don't. I'll never forget the time I was meeting with this guy, and I'm trying to disciple this guy. He's not part of this church, he's at a former church that I was a part of, and he's an older man. And he said, Well, Matt, when you get my age, you no longer struggle with lust. And I looked him in the eye and said, I think you're a liar. I know, I probably should have said it a nicer way. <laughs> At the crux of this issue that Paul's is attacking is that the gospel of purity, here's what you must understand, the gospel of purity that the Corinthian Christians proclaimed was not present in their life. That's the crux of the issue. And when Paul heard this news about the church, what I love about the Apostle Paul is he doesn't blast them. He models what we talked about last week about truth and love, right? And he picks up his pen and he gives the Corinthians two commands when it comes to sexual temptation. In verses 12 through 20, just so you know, there's really only two commands. Here are the two commands. We'll get to them at some point. This is a really long sermon, just so you know. If you have tic-tacs, break them out and share them with a neighbor, okay? Two commands. Flee sexual temptation, glorify God with your body. Those are the two commands in the text. So, if you're a note taker, here's the big idea of the passage. It encompasses the whole theme that Paul is writing about. The two commands in the paragraph we're looking at it's simply this Pursue purity by fleeing sexual immorality so you can glorify God with your body. Pursue purity by fleeing sexual immorality so you can glorify God with your body. Remember what we said previously about that word purity. Purity means freedom from contamination. And the Corinthian culture was full of sexual contamination. Their message of transformation didn't match, their life of trans- or didn't match a life of transformation, and it's the responsibility of every Christian, every Christian, not just the pastors, not just the small group leaders, every person who claims Christ, it's the responsibility of every Christian to seek to live life Free from sexual immorality so that we can impact our society missionally by living for God's glory. That's the point. Pursue purity by fleeing sexual immorality so you can glorify God with your body. Remember what we said previously about sexual immorality. When Paul uses that word sexual immorality, it's like the junk drawer word of sexual sin. It's a bunch of different sexual sins. Pornography. Pornography masturbation, prostitution, adultery, all of it. And in the passage of Scripture we're looking at, Paul shares four lies not to believe as you pursue purity in a sex-crazed society, ultimately for the purpose of bringing God glory, reaching our culture missionally. Number one, don't believe the lie of cultural philosophy. That's verse 12. Don't believe the lie of cultural philosophy. The number one problem with the Corinthian church is that they believed the lie of cultural philosophy. The Greeks loved philosophy. They were educated elites. I forget the number of of philosophers that were living in Corinth at this time, but it was in the thousands. And sadly, philosophy set the trajectory for the city. Philosophy had crept into the church, and the same is true in the American church. Think about some modern... American culture lies. The world says, I deserve to be happy, right? The world says, I deserve to be happy. Like, if you have a bad marriage, just divorce them. If your job stinks, quit. If you don't like your church, go to another one. You deserve to be happy. But God's word says, You're to be godly. The world says, Live for self. God's word says, live for Him. The world says live for the now. God's Word says live for the future. The Word says love yourself. God's Word says love others. The world says score for yourself. God's Word says save yourself. The world says I can believe whatever I want to believe as long as I'm sincere. All religions are the same. There are many ways to God, right? But God's Word says I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And really, a cultural lie that's right here in the text that our world, our culture, would subscribe to is the world says sex is physical, God's Word says sex is spiritual. Better write that one down. It's spiritual. So to combat combat the cultural lies, look at what Paul writes. And he's quoting the Corinthian culture. He's sealing a line, what many commentators would say would be a line from the culture, kind of like when we say today, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? He's using a line from culture, and he says, he uses their line, all things are lawful for me. Now, consider the context when you read that. All things are lawful for me. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, we've been sanctified, or we've been washed, we've been sanctified, and we've been justified. And so now the Corinthians, they're concluding, hey, all things are lawful for me. There's no law in the Corinthian culture about sex with a prostitute, so I'm going to hook up with a prostitute. Hey, I'm free in Christ. I can live whatever way I want. I can go back to my former way of life. I've been saved by grace. It's even okay in God's eyes. That's what they're thinking. And notice Paul's twofold response. He, he's contradicting the cultural lie. They say all things are lawful for me. What, what does Paul say? But not all things are helpful. That word helpful is profitable or to your advantage. It's not to your advantage. It's not profitable for you. It will not bring profit. Sin never brings profit. In fact, sin always brings loss. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer. If you die in the state of that of a sinner, you lose. You're in hell for eternity. Sin brings loss every time. Sin is never profitable. It's never to your advantage. That's why Christ came. He came as a rescuer. He came as a deliverer. In fact, we could even go a step further. Sin brings hardship. In fact, the pleasures, the, 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 the sin pleasures that we often pursue... What they do is they actually, what they actually do, they don't, they don't bring profit, they actually enslave, and they enslave. Like, think about the porn addict. I mean, and, and you can talk to a lost person who's struggling with porn, and they will say this, they will say, I want to quit. I want to quit. I mean, think about the drug addict. How's that working out? It's never profitable. Sin is never profitable. And just because it's legal, Paul's like, just because it's legal for you to hook up with a prostitute, Christian, or American Christian, just because in our culture, we have easy access to porn, and it's not against the law to watch a porn film, Paul's like, that doesn't mean it's right and moral. Culture may accept it, but Christ doesn't accept it. It's not okay. Okay. And, and, and let's just be honest, I mean, there are a lot of things our culture accepts, and they're coming down <laughs> the pike right now, and they're not okay. Just so you know, they're not okay. Like, think about the topic of gender, okay? Because that's a big one right now. It's a big one. 37, th- th- get this, so, so the culture is now saying, hey, you can, you can choose your identity, Right? Like, you can be a man and swim um, in the women's division of the NCAA Division One, whatever. And, and it's accepted, and it's actually celebrated. Like, this is great! It's happening right now. And it's being forced on all of us. Culture's forcing it on the Christian in the church to, to embrace. And, and listen... Another stat I found this week, 37% of Christians believe that a person is free to choose their identity. That's surprising, isn't it? Now, Christian is a broad word oftentimes. I get that. There are Christians who probably don't believe in the authority, the sufficiency, and the inerrancy of God's Word. We've got to get that out there. However, the fact remains, people that are Christian. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the Bible. I don't know how much of the Bible they actually believe. They're saying, 37% of them are saying, that a person is free to choose their identity. And the problem with the Corinthians and many American Christians is we think that if it's permissible in the courts, and if it's made a law, it's okay even when it refutes God's law. That's what we're seeing right now. And Paul's like, uh, no, we can't let that happen. And look what he goes on to say. Look look what he says next. All things are lawful for me, he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul is saying freedom from the law is supposed to release from sin. But sexual immorality actually enslaves you. That's why those stats were the way they were. 25% of searches on the internet are for porn. The fourth most popular reason for going on the internet is for porn. Like, porn, I was doing some research this week. There are profound consequences for, for, on your brain when you're looking at porn. Porn actually acts like a drug. And the, the people that are writing this stuff aren't even Christians, just so you know. I was reading one article and explained that tolerance is increased when you look at porn, porn creates addiction. It results in a loss of control. You experience withdrawal. Point being is the guy stuck on porn isn't free. He's enslaved. He's stuck in sin. Don't believe the cultural lie. That's what Paul's saying. Like, don't believe the lie. I'm not going to be dominated. And Paul's like, you're enslaved, and you're not, not supposed to be dominated by anything. So he's like, pursue purity by fleeing sexual immorality so you can glorify God with your body. Four lies not to believe. Don't believe the lie of cultural philosophy. Notice the second lie. We must not believe. Don't believe the lie of personal autonomy. That's verses 13 and 14. What's autonomy? It's the right or condition of self-government. Freedom from external control or influence. It's why our culture says to us all the time, you be you, you be you, personal autonomy. I do what I want, personal autonomy. My body, my choice, personal autonomy. Look what Paul writes, verse 13 14. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, and God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. The Corinthians argued, we just have like these, here's what they're saying, verse 13, we have these natural urges, they're biological urges, kind of like if you're thirsty, what do you do? You're thirsty, you get a drink, all right. You're hungry, you eat a tic-tac in church. Thank you for being the only person laughing. I appreciate that. Thank you. Paul's like, isn't sexual drive, or the culture, excuse me, they're saying, isn't, it's sexual drive, it's just like a biological function. Why is this even a problem? These are my instincts. This is the way I've been created. I'm responding to my urge. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're thirsty, you drink. When you want to have sex, you have sex. What's the big deal anyway? And Paul's like, here it is. God will destroy both one and the other. That's, that's what they're thinking, excuse me. God cares only about our soul, not our body. Get off my back. Let me live with personal autonomy. And, and this mindset that the Corinthians, again, this mindset that they had came from Plato. Plato was a philosopher who, I don't know, Philosophized. (laughs) He was philosophying or philosophizing not too far from Corinth. And, And he had influence. And he taught that the body is basically worthless and only the spirit matters. That was his teaching, and that's the teaching that the culture was embracing. It was called, it was named after him, Platonic Dualism. And Paul reminds them that the body will be resurrected. What does Paul say? Look at the text, verse 14. Our body... Sorry, I got to slide up. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. He's saying our body is coming back. So for those of you who are like, I can't wait to get my new body, all you're getting is an upgrade. I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's going to be better than what you have now, but it's merely an upgrade. It's not a whole new you. It's a better version of you. But your body sticks with you. Your body is God's. That's what he says in verse 19. Look down in verse 19 if you have your Bible open. It's not on the screen. He says, You are not your own, you belong to God. Like this body thing's really important, so you honor God with your body. We aren't animals. We aren't animals who don't have a soul that Plato was teaching that Darwin teaches with evolution, that we are just like uh, I don't don't even know how to explain it. I should have been brushed up on this. But Darwin teaches like we're just like a a better version of an animal. We just keep getting better and better and better. No. You're an image bearer. You're created in the the image of God and as image bearers we also have a soul. And so materialism was driving this whole misunderstanding about body-soul. And Paul's like, no, you were made to honor God. You were made to obey God. You were made to worship God. Not dishonor Him with your body. So eliminate this whole idea of this lie of personal autonomy. That's what he's saying in verses 13 and 14. Notice the third lie he brings up. Lie we must not believe. Don't believe the lie of physical independency. That's verses 15 through 17. Don't believe the lie of physical independency. Don't believe this lie that you're not connected with another being or another person or that we're not connected to each other. We are the body of Christ, Christian. And Paul's them; he's calling their attention to that. He's like, Church of Corinth, you're the body of Christ. Levi read it today out of Colossians. Christ is the head. We are the body. We're members of one body. We are intricately connected to each other as Christians. You're not separate. Eliminate this lie of, I'm an individual. And because I'm an individual, what I might do only affects me. And Paul's like, especially as it relates to sexuality. Eliminate the lie of physical independency. Like, when you commit sexual sin, it's public, not private. It's communal. Not just personal when you commit sexual sin. It's communal. We're members of one body, Church of Corinth. It doesn't just affect you. It involves other people. And this cultural lie that you are not connected, it goes against God's word, and for like it just doesn't it's not even common sense to think that way. It's crazy to think that way. I mean, think about... And, and listen, I am not... We sin. I am a really good at one thing. I'm good at sinning. Who's, who's in that category with me? Raise your hand if you're good at sinning. I'm good at sinning. I'm good at sinning. So, as I say what I'm about to say next, I am so thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ and the, for the forgiveness That is extended to every person who puts their faith and trust in Him alone for eternal life. Sin can be forgiven, praise God. But understand something. Let's talk about sexual sin. Let's talk about an affair, an affair, because our culture would say it's no big deal. You be you. You're physically independent. You're personally autonomous. No don't worry about it. Well, what does an affair do? it it typically I, I'm I've never been in a counseling situation where a person confessed to an affair and it only affected them. It affects other people. It affects their family. it can affect their church family. It affects Christ's testimony, wounds Christ. We're not independent of each other. That's what Paul's calling our attention to. We're not physically independent. We're connected. And furthermore, he he explains in the text, I'm going to read it really quickly because we're really running out of time. He says, for the Christian who has Christ in their heart, Not only are you connected to the body collectively, but you're connected to Christ. And that person that you're committing sexual sin with, although Christ remains pure, like He's there because He's in you. Think about that for a minute. You know that whole mindset, I just wish I could walk with Jesus every day. Because if Jesus was with me on my daily walk, I would never sin because He's right there with me. Well, He is right there with you. The person of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is in you. And this is really hard to understand because as we're committing this sin, we know The Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is completely set apart from sin, so He's obviously not committing the sin, but He's there while you're committing the sin. Look at the text. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That's what I just explained. And He he goes to like the worst, most disgusting sin of sexual sin. He's like, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Like, should I take what's holy And connect it to something that's filthy. It gives no regard for holiness. He says, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Like, do you understand what you're doing in that moment? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know what you're doing? Are you really going to keep living this way? We talked about this when I was with you during the first 18 months following your conversion. I was in the synagogue, he says this in Acts 18. I was in the synagogue every week. And when I left, you were wise. And he even says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I think it's verse 8. He's like, You were wise. Like, you were understanding these things. Like, what in the world has happened to you? Do you not know? How did culture brainwash you so much that you, who at one point understood holiness and purity, and now you believe these lies of cultural philosophy and personal autonomy and physical independency, and what it really reveals about you is this fourth lie that's found in verses 18 through 20, this lie of spiritual complacency. What is complacency? What does it mean to be complacent? It means satisfied with your achievements. We see it with teams, right? They win three straight championships, the practice level drops, the workout attendance drops. We see it in the work environment, the salesman who's meeting the quotas, he's winning the trips, he's getting ready to retire, what does he do? He phones it in. We see it it in the academic arena. I got accepted to my first college choice. I had a girl that I used to coach run up to me yesterday, I'm so excited, I got accepted to Carolina, it was my first choice school. She's in. I have a feeling she might not work as hard the rest of the semester. Maybe she will. Complacency takes on the mindset, "Hey, this is good enough. I made it." And when things are hard, Christian, and when we've experienced seasons of success, it is easy to become satisfied. We grow complacent, and this is exactly again what happened to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter two, verses six through eight, Paul says, "You were full grown in the Lord." Back in Acts eighteen, they possess the wisdom of God and now they're enslaved to sexual sin. Complacency is far too common in the life of the Christian. Hey man, I've had seasons and years of victory and we become satisfied with our achievements. Porn free for 4 years, faithful to my partner, my entire marriage so far. And and watch out for complacency, because it creeps in, and the next thing we know, we're captured. And that's why Paul writes, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Present imperative. It's this idea of flee continually. Keep fleeing until the danger is past. He's like, don't rationalize the temptation. Run. Don't rationalize. Oh, I've been foreign free for four years. I guess I can take a click. Don't endure the temptation. You escape. Don't consider the temptation. Don't consider the affair. You clear out of there, bro. I heard one person say, well, it doesn't matter. I'll get off track. But flee, it's this idea of taking radical measures. It's the idea of Joseph when Potiphar's smoking hot wife propositioned him I'm out. Not sticking around. Verse 19. Well, verse 18, flee sexual immorality, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And let me just say, like, as you're and I don't we, we got a cruise, but it's it's pretty clear. I mean it says it, it's not super complicated. Like when you commit sexual sin, you're sinning against your own body. When you gossip, you're sinning about others, right? When you slander, you're you're sinning about others. But what makes sexual sin unique is not only are you sinning against the person you're sleeping with, but you're sinning against yourself. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. So you might want to write this down. My body is Shekinah glory. What's Shekinah glory? The dwelling place. The dwelling place of God's glory. Your body is the dwelling place of God's glory. And and Paul even says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And then he says, in you. I mean, think about that. God's dwelling place is in you. And then he says, whom you have from God. This dwelling place of God's glory, it's a gift to you. And, And then he goes on to say, you are not your own. He owns you. You are not your own. And then he says, glorify God. Or, or you were bought with a price. He purchased you. Then he says, so glorify God in your body. That's the second command. So do you get all that? Let me say it again. You, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, is in You. God's dwelling place is in you. Whom you have from God. It's a gift to you. Keep reading. You are not your own. He owns you, for you were bought with a price. He purchased you, so glorify God, with your body, the response is glorify God. So, so Paul's like, this whole idea of my body, my choice, goes out the window right there with that verse. Like, the, like, what we need to have on our bumper stickers is his body, his choice. That's what Paul's saying there. His body, his choice. He determines what you do. So then, Application. My small group guys were giving me a really hard time. They said, man, you preach. Then you throw that application on the screen and say, take pictures. I took that as we want you to preach longer. <laughs> but the alarm went off. All right, here's, here's, here it is. Most pastors would just stop with the ABCs For victory in the arena of sexuality, not this guy. Oh no, we're going to look at the A B C D E F Gs for victory in the arena of sexuality. You can put an extra tithe in the bucket on your way out, since I didn't phone it in. Here we go. Letter A. Here's. I'm serious about this. I'm joking, but this is to help you. This is. I want it, uh, man, I just have so much to say every week. I don't know where to cut, and I try to cut as much as I can, and I I want you to understand the text, and the text is the inspired Word of God, so we got to preach the text. I'm going to give you the EFGs, which include texts of Scripture, but for the person who is struggling with sexual sin, like, this is for you. I've been thinking and praying for you all week long. Write it down. Take notes. This is how we have Victory. And this is why we do these books. If you need to walk out right now, no judgment. We're not going to assume the worst about anybody around here, but go get a book and take notes because this is serious stuff. You don't want to be enslaved to it. Uh, Letter A avoid tempting situations. Avoid tempting situations. I mean, think about the context of the Corinthians. The Corinthians, here's what they had to do to hook up with the temple prostitute they had to climb the mountain and go there, they had to walk to the temple. And it wasn't an easy walk. They had to go to the temple of Aphrodite, which was on a mountain. They didn't avoid the tempting situation. They walked by it. Now, of course, we don't walk to a temple, but we walk into temptation, tempting situations all the time. What are some of those tempting situations that you should probably avoid alone with the opposite sex? Alone with the opposite sex. Flirting with someone you're attracted to. There are movies and books that you need to avoid. Texting. Emotionally being connected with someone of the opposite sex. You might have to kill your phone or your computer. Plain and simple, don't expose yourself to the temptation. Avoid tempting situations. I would quote Proverbs five verses seven through twelve, but I will not due to time. But I want to encourage you to read these verses that are on the screen. Take a picture. B A is avoid tempting situations. B be aware of your weaknesses. Be aware of your weaknesses. Do you know your triggers? Do you know your triggers? Hey, know know what I did one time? Full transparency. This was several years ago. I was working at another church and I told my accountability partner, I said, "Hey, just so you know, that person who is in our church, I'm really attracted to. So if you ever see me around that person a lot, you need to be really going after me. You better know your trigger. You better know your trigger. So often we want to put our toe in the water and it ends in destruction. Be aware of your weakness. See, or Proverbs 5.20, I'm going to read Proverbs 5.20. I have time, it's only one verse. Proverbs 5.20, be aware of your weakness. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? That right there is talking all about the triggers. Know your triggers. C, construct boundaries. Construct boundaries. If you want victory, you better have boundaries. If porn is the problem, get the filter. If you know how to get around the filter, get rid of the phone and the computer. If a place is the problem, you don't go there. If a person is the problem, you, you, you never be alone with them. I mean, I have certain, just so you know, I have rules for myself. I'll never be alone with a woman in a car unless she's my wife or a relative, and I don't want to say how many years older because that might offend some of you. I love you though. There's a reason why we spent money on these big windows in our offices, so that we can Meet with women, and it's like for all to see. Make sense? You might want to write this down. I kind of modified it, stole it from Andy Stanley, and I think I made it better. (laughs) Decisions, not intentions, will determine your destination. Decisions, 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 not intentions, will determine your destination. You decide. You'll never regret lines you didn't cross physically. So change the job, change the cubicle. You might even have to change your small group. D, devote yourself to uncommon community. Uncommon community is one of the values at our church. Community is a buzzword in our culture today, especially in our Christian culture. I would say it's a Christian cliche. I would, I would just say this about community. Community minus accountability equals friendship, okay? If your idea of community is no accountability, what you have is friends. And I love friends, and it's awesome to have friends. It's great to have friends. But what we need in the Christian life to have victory over sin is partnership, fellowship. That word fellowship in Scripture, it really means partnership. So write this down, community plus... Accountability equals fellowship or partnership, you can put in parentheses. We need to be one anothering. At Vertical Church, we want a culture of uncommon community. And the reason so many Christians, as I said before, they fall to sexual immorality is due to a lack of biblical community. Listen, sin thrives in secrecy, and it hates community and accountability. And if you're not willing to share it, you need to ask yourself if you really want to conquer it. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. You want to hide your sin? That's fine. You're not going to prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them obtains mercy. I want mercy. I need mercy. Confess and forsake E, this is probably the most important one, enjoy Christ daily, enjoy Christ daily. How do you flee sexual immorality? It's not by trying harder, it's not by willpower, it's by enjoying Christ daily. You've got to get that. Found this quote by Warren Wiersbe, he says, if we delight in the Lord and seek to please Him in everything, then something is going to happen to our own desires, his desires become our desires. We start to say with our Lord, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Our praying then is simply the reflection of God's desires in our heart. To cultivate a heart that desires what is good, a heart that delights in the Lord, is the first step toward the life that overflows with the blessing of the Lord. Enjoy Jesus daily. That's what will kill your any sin problem. And what that means is Sunday service isn't enough. It's great. This is a great starting point. I call this first base. This is first base. If you, if you don't come here on Sunday to worship the Lord, and, and listen, I love you online people, but you need to be here. Okay? You need to be here unless you're unable to physically. You need to be here. Because you experience body life, you experience one another, you can worship the Lord, but it doesn't stop with Sunday service. I would encourage you to be a part of a community. We do small groups here at Vertical Church, but you need to be immersed in a community that has accountability. And furthermore, it just doesn't stop there. You need to be praying and reading and committing to Scripture memory daily. I mean, the, 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 there's one, remember our Armor of God series? There's one offensive weapon. What was it? What was it? One offensive weapon. Hint. Yeah, the sword, God's Word. So we don't, we don't read just out of duty. We read so that we might grow in our delight, and when we delight in Christ, we're going to say no to the lesser things because Jesus is satisfying. He says to the woman who struggled with adultery all her life, he said, hey, I'm offering you water that you will never thirst again. A relationship with Jesus eliminates all those desires and cravings for sexual immorality. F, fully understand and embrace God's forgiveness. Listen, fully understand and embrace God's forgiveness. I want to start with understand God's forgiveness. Living under sin's tyranny... If you're living under sin's tyranny and you're just doing what you want and sinning with whenever you want and sleeping with whoever you want, like, dude, you're under sin's tyranny and you don't understand God's grace fully. Like, you haven't repented of your sin. You haven't. Jesus said, go and sin no more. So if you're living with the grace card, I'm under grace, I confess, I confessed, I confessed, I confessed, I confessed, I confessed, I confessed. And like you're sleeping together every Saturday and then you sing together at church every Sunday? If you're looking at porn daily and then waxing eloquently with your prayers publicly or if you're focusing on having friends with benefits rather than true fellowship with friends, you're living under sin's tyranny and you don't understand God's grace fully. I'm not judging you. I'm concerned for you. Some of you are thinking, well, man, that's judgmental. Well, let me just say, in the church, we're supposed to judge. We've, we've been covering this. All I'm saying is something ain't right. Something's not right. Take a look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I hope it's on the screen. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, believer? By no means. Heck No. How can we who died to sin live in it? Like, we're dead to this stuff. How can we keep ourselves here? This is gross. And then verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. Like, we have new life, and we're going to walk that way. A saved life, listen, a saved life is a changed life, not perfectly, but increasingly. But just as living under sin's tyranny means you haven't understood God's grace fully, Living under guilt continually for past failures means you haven't understood God's grace fully. Listen, if you've struggled with sexual sin, like, listen, and if you've confessed it and you've sought repentance, let it go. Quit reminding yourself of it. Don't live under continual guilt and past failures. God wants you to embrace His forgiveness, and we have some verses for that thought too, and that comes from 1 John chapter 1. And I'm not going to read it, but you know it. if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're, like, you're good, man. Go. Move on. Some of you want me to right now. Okay. Gee. Here we go. Give yourself entirely to your spouse. So important. And if you're not married yet, you're saving yourself for your future spouse. But you give yourself entirely to your spouse. After God, pursue your spouse above all else. Talking to you, men, it's your job to lead in this way. Some people pursue their kids above their spouse. Some people pursue their career above their spouse. Some people will pursue their, they will spend more time watching their NFL football team than they do spending time with their spouse. How ridiculous is that? And there are ladies who would rather spend time with their girlfriends than with their husband. That's stupid. I tell people all the time yeah, I pretty much have one friend it's my wife. I like the rest of you. You're my community. but She's who I want to be with. And you, you give yourself entirely to spouse. That's what it means to leave and cleave. That word cleave, it's really, it's like stuck on you. So, as we close our time together, let me make it clear. I just want to say this, that if you are a Christian who's struggling with sexual sin, maybe it's same-sex attraction, maybe it's lust whatever it is, it doesn't make you. Please hear me. You're not a second-class citizen around here. All of us have sin struggles that go against God's Word. They go against His commands. But what the King wants from His kingdom citizens are Christians who are fighting to have victory over the lies of the enemy by submitting themselves to Him entirely. That's what the King wants. He wants people who seek to glorify Him with their body in every area of life. Whether you eat, or whether you drink, or whether you have sex, glorify Him. But if you're not fighting to have victory over the lies of the enemy, if you're believing the lies of cultural philosophy and personal autonomy and physical independency and spiritual complacency, you don't really have a desire to glorify God with your body as it relates to sexual immorality. What God wants from you is to submit yourself to Him. And He loves and accepts all of us for who we are. And He'll wash away your guilty stains with His blood. Not only that, He'll give you the strength to move forward and to live a life of purity so that you can give Him glory. That's the good news, that's the gospel. I'm thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ who will take someone wicked like me who is prone to sexual immorality and forgive me and make me new and give me a life that's in the pursuit for purity.